You're listening to Bethany Radio. More content is available on iTunes or online at BethanyBibleLeroy.com. to the book of Philippians once again chapter 3 I'll get my little thing on up here and and boom we're, we're rolling we're going okay we got this Linnell you can do this all right well as you turn to Philippians 3 this is a picture came from last week hell is not in the presence of Jesus and you got hell and then you've got a wide gate and a narrow gate who drew this I thought it was you, Micah. Okay, I didn't get a name, and I thought, I think it's Micah, but I wasn't quite sure. There's a couple other good drawings in the back. Check those out, but thank you. We were looking at that last week, the wide gate, the narrow gate, enemies of the cross, that sort of thing. We're we're in Philippians 3, verses 20 through 21 today, and let me just read that to us as we begin. I'll start in verse 17 if you're there, so Philippians 3, 17... We'll read where we were from last week and then where we're at here today. Here's what God's Word says. Brothers, join in imitating me and keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example you have in us. For many, of whom I have often told you and now tell you even with tears, walk as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their end is destruction. Their God is their belly, and they glory in their shame with minds set on earthly things. But our citizenship is in heaven. and From it we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body to be like His glorious body by the power that enables Him even to subject all things to Himself. Would you pray again with me? Father, we come to you today in the midst of things going on around us as has already been prayed, and we thank you that we have your sure word before us. I'm asking now, Lord, as you have provided all week and as you are faithful every morning, your mercies are new every morning and every night, that your mercies would be new today as we look into your word, as we think about our world, as we think about our place as citizens, even here in this country, even, and then gaze our eyes on you and our true citizenship. So help me as I speak today to speak from you, Lord, to exalt you. May you be the one we praise and adore and worship forever. Lord, those hearts that are gathered here today that have strayed from you, that are not Following you, may you call them back to yourself today by your Spirit through something that is said, something that is spoken of your Word, that we would have a surety, each one of us gathered here today, a surety of a heavenly citizenship, a heavenly reward, a heavenly presence of Jesus, and not to be away from you in the depths of eternal torment in hell forever. It's there by faith in Christ, repentance and faith, turning to you, Pray that be the case if any do not know you. And then, Lord, just guide our time here again for your glory. We ask this in your name. Amen. Well, this week I was 
chatting with Devin after our men's group, and he shared this. And so, Weston and Marshall, you know about the caterpillar you guys had? That was a pretty neat story. We're all familiar with the story of the caterpillar, right? The metamorphosis, the transformation that takes place from caterpillar to butterfly. It makes its cocoon, and there's scientific things going on. And I read even somewhere it kind of basically dies, and becomes this goo, even though there's enough there that it dies, becomes this goo, and then it transforms, that metamorphosis takes place for it. And in that, God's glory is on display. We're talking about displays of God's glory here in this little crawling caterpillar, and maybe we'll all go find one this week and do the exact same thing, uh, put it in a jar, or you can ask the voids how they, just how they did it to make sure we get it right. But God's glory is on display in the smallest of things transformation. It's a work of God's. It's for His glory. And it's a work already begun in us by His Spirit. And a work in which He will bring to completion on the day of Jesus Christ. Verse 21 of what we read says He's going to transform our lowly body to be like. And the words there, to be like, are to morphe, to, to kind of this metamorphosis that to take the form of His glorious body. And so we look forward to that day, to sing worthy is the Lamb when, when sin and death has been transformed in us, when we're in our glorified bodies before the Lord. But it's also a work, a transforming work God is doing today, like I said. He's doing this through His church. He's doing this in you who are in Christ. He's doing this in me. And even through... We can believe even through trials and circumstances we go through in our lives. This week, my sermon prep has been less than normal. Uh, Not that there's always a great normal week of that. But our text this week, you saw it, our text is dealing with our heavenly citizenship. That's where it's at. And yet it seemed to me the majority of my prep time was really thinking over and wrestling with our United States citizenship this week. Maybe you were too thinking about that. As it relates to the most recent mandate, the the masks to wear them. And as a pastor here, even as a fellow believer with you, we're, we're faced again another mandate in terms of our church and compliance or disobedience. It's no light thing to do. And I desire to honor God. His Word clearly tells us, honor those He's placed in authority over us. Romans 13, we're going to know these really well by the time it's all over. Romans 13, 1 Peter 2. So it's not been an easy task, nor should it be when we're considering not following something the state has, has mandated. Before I go on, let me just give a word on mass to kind of put this little thing on it. My goal and conclusion nor that of the elders. We're not here to convince uh, any of you not to wear one if your conscience so dictates, okay? So don't hear that like we look down on you, that sort of thing. Don't hear that. My goal is just to bring you along in my own wrestling of this week with just what to do. What do we do as a church? My own conscience in this. And you'll have to wrestle with that individually as well. And, and for me, the word wrestling just seems the most fitting. Wrestling. Some of you, the wrestling match is quick. It's 10 seconds. This was nothing for you. This is like, why are you even talking about that? 
Okay? Some others, it's slower. It's not so quick. And so since misery loves company, join with me on my journey of, of misery and yet gloriously seeing our Lord. So we're going to start out. We're going to think about what it looks like. Our goal, citizens of heaven, we're going to begin thinking about citizens even of the United States. And so with that, this sermon is going to be a little different. Okay, It's not so much exegesis of the, of the text itself this week. But I, I, I want to work from kind of a broad thought, state, government, that idea, and then try to get specific and, and end, end with eyes vertically, looking vertically. Let me just give a word of, it's not warning or caution, um, this will probably be longer than most. So parents with young kids, kids, I'm sorry to be, I'll just apologize and just draw tons of pictures, okay? Lincoln, give me five today or something, okay? It's going to be a little bit longer. Just hang in there, um, hang in there with me. Let's try to do this. Okay, so general overview. Two words, sphere, sovereignty. Sphere, sovereignty. Broad, a broad view, who is the real ruler? Del Tackett, some of you went through the Truth Project. Remember when we did that a couple years ago, and I, I brought him up last week and brought him up again. You saw some of this, or maybe you've been through that before. He spoke on the idea of sphere sovereignty. It's an idea not unique to him. He didn't come up with it, but there's... What he's saying is there's various spheres of God's creation that have their own order and authority. So there's the sphere around the sphere of the church, sphere of the family, and sphere of the state, as he's going to refer to, the government, fear of the or the sphere of the state. Fear of the state. Okay? So he talks about the rise of the state. What happens when the sphere of the state, so these are individual places, what happens when that sphere grows and grows and gets bigger and bigger, bigger than it was designed by God to get? We're going to show you a quick five-minute clip of Dell explaining this rather than me and glean what you can from it. Hopefully it'll just play here. I want to deal with one of these pathologies called the rise of the state. And in order to do that, I want to take you back for a minute to our third tour and answering the question, who is man? Do you remember at that time we took a look at Maslow and we took a look at Rogers and their statement about who man is basically good and perfectible. That brought us to this issue. Why is there evil in the world? Rogers says, experience leads me to believe that it is cultural influences which are the major factor in our evil behaviors. Maslow then said, sick people are made by a sick culture. Healthy people are made possible by a healthy culture. What did that lead us to in terms of um, a humanistic view of man? Basically good and perfectible. Mental health can be attained by getting in touch with yourself, self-actualization. But it was the social institutions that were the problem. Social institutions are responsible for man's evil actions. And that is why we have the kind of social actions that we have today. Because as soon as the state begins to believe that it has the right and the obligation, if these are the problems, 
we will invest power in this institution to help gain control of those institutions which are causing the evil in society. And the state then begins to rise in power and begin to think that it does have the right to breach the sovereign boundaries of each of those spheres. Sphere sovereignty is gone, and we have the rise of the state. And when the state begins to rise in power, it no longer observes any kind of sphere sovereignty at all, but begins to assume that it has the right to absorb all of those institutions underneath its control and power. And that then brings us to a great conflict. What is the conflict? What is the problem? It ends up being an ethical problem. The biblical point is not that our problem ultimately is an intellectual one. It's a moral one. That's why we appeal for relativism. Because if there, if there is no objective truth, if there are no objective standards, then it's okay for me to live however I want to live, according to my preferences. But if there is a God, and he's normative, and he has a law, then he says no when I want to say yes, and I have a conflict. If I could just get rid of objective truth, get rid of objective reality, then I can live however I want to live. If I can just get rid of objective truth, then I can live however I want to live. What is the conflict here? What is the problem? What do we need to get rid of? God. He becomes the problem. When the state begins to rise in power, his restrictions, his ethical notions now become the problem. And we need to remove him. Now, you know you can't remove him, but the state will begin to act as if he is no longer there. And when the state begins to act as if he is no longer there, then we begin to view the state in a little different way. Look at Hegel's comment about the state. The universal is to be found in the state. The state is the divine ideas that exists on earth. We must therefore worship the state as the manifestation of the divine on earth. And consider that if it is difficult to comprehend nature, it is harder to grasp the essence of the state. The state is the march of God through the world. Now, I would submit to you that that is exactly what is going on. Now, we don't bow down to some statue, but we begin to act as if it is God. And we change the sphere of God and man now to state and man. That the state becomes that which we turn to, to answer all of our problems. The state begins to assume that it has the right over all education. It begins to assume it has the responsibility for the poor. The state begins to assume that all ethics now are bound up in the state's declaration of what is right and wrong. It assumes it will take care of the needy, of course, using your goods to do it. It will determine what wages can be paid, and it will determine what marriage looks like, and on and on it goes. The state rising up and assuming authority and power destroys these institutions.
you see some of that taking place. Maybe not mask mandates alone, but how our God is being replaced by the state. True recovery, right? Health, true, can be yours just by following what we tell you to do, state. So, my study on this, as, as I said, led to a study on our, on our own citizenship in the United States, and I was helped here by a couple authors, I'll refer to them as we go, Douglas Wilson, Andrew Sandlin. I'm not here to endorse everything about these guys, um, but some of what they've written has been helpful. That's why I've got a PowerPoint today to try to, you can read along. I know they're, they're larger quotes, but maybe that'll help you as well. To think in terms of, of the role, the role of the state and then our role as citizens of the United States. So firstly, just our place as United States citizens. Again, any authority outside of God's ultimate authority is bound at some point. So God has ultimate authority, but every other authority is bound. Here's what Andrew Sandlin explains. He explains the protections in our country of not having one authority to be ultimate amongst the people who we live in a constitutional republic. That's what we live in, and here's, here's what we have in terms of authority. Okay, You can read along. I'll read here. The locus of authority is more widely diffused. In fact, it was intentionally diffused in harmony with a Christian worldview. Think about why we have these diffusions of authority. The founders, even the unbelievers among them, were shaped by a Christian mindset. And this includes the doctrine of original sin, which doesn't magically disappear when individuals assume political office. In fact, sin often intensifies precisely among politicians, a truth captured in the Christian Lord Acton's famous line, power tends to corrupt, and absolute power corrupts absolutely. Therefore, the U.S. founders fashioned a system of diffuse political authority, checks and balances that would deconsolidate the sin. They knew that purging sin in the present world is an impossibility. And purgation via politics creates the most dangerous political order of all, so they fashioned a system that would most mitigate the effects of sin. I'll go back. Power in the hands of earthly creatures, as Doug Wilson tends to point out, he says it ratchets up this power. He says because these creatures are sinful, they always want a little bit more than God gave them. We, we like power. So we live in a land that's granted authority to leaders, but it's limited, it's bounded authority. Jesus said this in Mark twelve seventeen: Render to Caesar, you'll hear this a lot, right, as you look up these things, render to Caesar the things that are Caesar's and to God the things that are God's. And so we need to ask in our land, in our land, who is Caesar? Who's the governor? Is, is the governor Caesar? Is the president Caesar, and we live in an interesting place. I think there are certainly aspects of authority, but they too, being both under God's ultimate authority, are under another authority. It's the authority of our Constitution. And it's because of this that in some sense, we too, as citizens, share in the authority of the land. I'll let Andrew Sandlin explain. 
It says, in constitutional republics, the locus of authority includes citizens themselves. This was a remarkably new factor in human history, and it has contributed to vast human freedom. Citizens are themselves political authorities. This does not imply pure democracy, which the U.S. founders feared and abhorred, but it does mean that while individuals delegate decision-making to representatives, they can never delegate their entire authority. As dubious as it might sound, this means that citizens enjoy a limited say in which laws they will and will not obey. The fact that this truism can be twisted, okay, it can, right, to, to justify wholesale rebellion doesn't invalidate it. Though there are no guarantees in a fallen world, this arrangement tends to protect against both political tyranny and social anarchy. So, Doug Wilson offers this helpful illustration. So here's an illustration, kind of what's this all, what's, what does this kind of look like? Did I put it up? Yeah, I did, okay. You can listen or I'll, or I'll just read it to you here. Here's the illustration. To simplify this point, thinking of the bounds of leaders, what can leaders do and, and not do, that sort of thing. He says, to simplify this point, we put the governor into office and we point to two buttons on his desk. We say to him, you may press the red button, but you have no authority to press the blue button. The constitution of your state says, without amb- ambiguity, it says, there will be no blue button pushing. Now, does the governor have the authority to wake up one morning and announce to the world that he is the master of all blue buttons? He says, I will help you with this difficult question. The answer is no. He goes on to say this. So bring all of this a little closer to home. Suppose the governor of your state proclaimed a statewide blue shirt day. Next Tuesday, and all citizens not complying would be faced with a misdemeanor fine of $150. He signs the executive order to join together to fight leukemia. Now what? Although he is the lawful governor of your state, duly elected, lawfully sworn in, this is an unlawful order. He has no authority to require something like this. And then he goes on to say this. This is what constitutional government is. This is how it works. This is what it means. Civil rulers may not touch the blue buttons. Oh, there it is. May not touch the blue buttons. As we think back to our mandate, I am no constitutional lawyer, far, far from it, or, or even well-learned on all this and feeling quite unlearned in all this. But I'm going to point out at least, at least two things from a reading just of our, even of our Constitution that can help us when we think in terms of what Doug Wilson calls, this is a, a term maybe he coined, I don't know, submissive disobedience. They're together. This idea of submissiveness, not throwing out the government, not anarchy, but disobedience as well. Here's a couple, couple thoughts from our Constitution. One is uh, Section 1 of Amendment 14 to the Constitution. It says this, no state, yeah, no state shall make or enforce any law which shall abridge the privileges or immunities of citizens of the United States, nor shall any state deprive any person of life, liberty, or property without due process of law, nor deny to any person within its jurisdiction the equal protection of the laws. 
So the state cannot do certain things. And when it deprives of life or liberty or property, it's gone beyond the bounds. So is that the case in our state? If not fully, it seems to be well veering that way. Number two. There we go. Number two is relation to our church. And I'm grateful Milt reminded me once again of this. That was helpful. From the Constitution, our First Amendment. Put it up here for you. I'll just read the first part of it. Congress shall make no law respecting an establishment of religion or prohibiting the free exercise thereof. To freely exercise religion. So as long as God grants us a state to live We live under this Constitution. We have authority to freely exercise our religion. And I think we can extend that to what we wear, attendance limitations, that sort of thing as we meet as a church. On that, can I say today, just just based on that alone, am I rock solid, 100% positive, our governor, he's, he's beyond the limits, beyond the bounds. Some of you, this is super black, I'm like dark gray. That's where I'm, okay? I'm dark gray. And that's what was the wrestling, okay? It, it, it sure looks, I'm with you, it sure looks like a lot of blue button pushing that's going on when we've got just a red button to push. And, and I see the arguments that way. But by God's grace, the arguments, the thinking, that's not by His grace where the journey ends here. Yeah, I'll wait there. Um, I want you to come back. Look at Philippians 3 again. Come back to our text. Because my dilemma of this week was sermon-related. Up to this point, I had a civics lesson. I mean, it was kind of, we're using some scripture, render to Caesar, what's that? It was more just civics. And just something like, it's just, I'm not, I'm not there yet, Lord. Can you help me? <laughs> Crying out. What, where do we go? And in some ways, yeah, God looks a bit distant as we just look at our horizontal. Here's the Constitution, here's this, and here's this. So something was missing. Look again, Philippians 3. Let's just read the verses again, verse 20 through 21. But our citizenship is in heaven, and from it we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body to be like His glorious body by the power that enables Him even to subject all things to himself. Paul uses the word citizenship here. It's got the idea of, of a place even. Where is the citizen from? Philippi, where he's writing to, is a Roman colony. Paul himself is a Roman citizen, and he used his citizenship on occasion. He used it to say, are you going to flog me? Because I'm a Roman citizen. Is that, you're okay with that? And, it, and he used it. So it's this is not wrong to look at our, what we have as United States citizens and that sort of thing. But all that pales, it's secondary to this other place of citizenship. One resource I looked at, really a, a dictionary of some of these Greek words, said this for, for citizenship. I know it's small. It's up there if, you, if it helps you. Let me just read it. It says, The urban or civic metaphors for the Christian life in the New Testament, looking at this word for citizenship. And especially in St. Paul, they're, they're quite coherent. 
Heaven is like a city, a polis, P-O-L-I-S, a, a polis. Yeah, a polis would be a better way to say it. Heaven's like a city, a polis. Christ is its sovereign, Kyrios, right, Lord. And it has its own laws and constitution, the politeia. Yeah, you, do you hear, you're hearing politics in here some, namely the gospel. Christians are its citizens. Then they go on to say they're not treated as foreigners or sojourners there. They have the rights of citizenship. Polytuma, what, what the word Paul's using here for citizenship, and are fellow citizens of the saints. Such a citizenship carries with it rights and privileges, but also obligations and responsibilities. Each one is then required to live as a citizen, i.e., according to the laws and the spirit of this city, conformably to its statutes. Statutes. The call today to us as citizens of the United States of America is to look there and then to look heavenward. Our government, this, this one, on its best day, pales to the government of our Lord. There is no equal. There is no power struggle, no authority struggle. God is the ruler. He is sovereign of all. His Son. What does it call Him here in Paul's words? The Lord. Jesus Christ. He reigns supreme. He's highly exalted. As we looked in Philippians, every knee shall bow to Him. Every tongue confess. That's our legislature's governor. That's us. That's president. Judges. They will confess, You, Jesus Christ, are Lord. They are not the Lord. He is the ultimate Lord. Well, last night, God was gracious in this journey. So gracious, answering prayer. Maybe you've been praying for me this week. I came to your mind praying for him. Thank you. So God answers. There's miraculous things. And the wrestling. Wear a mask. Obey the authority. Don't wear a mask. What do you do? What do we do as a church? I'm, I'm accountable here. So, Lord, it's not just for me. What about you? I'm to lead. We're to lead as elders. And God provided. And He provided in a most unique way through what's going on in California. Maybe you know of this, but California, it's beyond masks out there for them. Uh, most counties, if not all, I don't, I don't know for sure, there's a ban on singing. You, no singing. Chanting, I think maybe the other things. Even the reopening has rolled back. I read, I think, yeah, this morning, to some 32 counties must close their places of worship. So they're in a much kind of even different stage of where we're at. Is it coming here? No, we have no idea. I want to read to you portions of, and I have the last portion on the next slide, so we'll just wait here. I want to read to you some portions from a response to this by a church in the area. Maybe you've seen this already, by Church Grace Community Church. If that name's not familiar, you may have heard of John MacArthur. He's on the radio and you've heard of him. This is their church, and he and the elders of this church put out this statement, and it's rather long, and I thought about reading the whole thing, and, but I didn't, so I'm going to read a part of it to you, because it's pretty bold in what this church, a rather large church in California, is saying. And what I loved when I saw this and read it and helped me come back to 
again, gazing my eyes horizontally. No, lift them up. Look again to the Lord. Is That's the perspective it is. It's not so much constitutional. It's so much who's in authority. Okay, so let me read some of it. Try to track uh, on these things, but I'll read it. Here's how it starts. Christ is Lord of all. He is the one true head of the church. He is also King of kings, sovereign over every earthly authority. Grace Community Church has always stood immovably on those biblical principles. As His people, we are subject to His will and commands as revealed in Scripture. Therefore, we cannot and will not acquiesce to a government-imposed moratorium on our weekly congregational worship or other regular corporate gatherings. Compliance would be disobedience to our Lord's clear commands. Insofar as government authorities do not attempt to assert ecclesiastical, it's church, right? Ecclesiastical authority or issue orders that forbid our obedience to God's law, their authority is to be obeyed. So they're not anarchists. They're not saying we're out of here. They're saying in as much as they don't attempt to assert ecclesiastical authority, we will obey. We want to follow. You're, you're God's person set there. And they say whether we agree with their rulings or not. We're to obey our civil authorities as power that, powers that God himself has ordained. And then they talk, and now you're going to be familiar. Language here with, the, I think, the idea of sphere sovereignty is here. They say God has established three institutions within human society. The family, the state, and the church. Each institution has a sphere of authority with jurisdictional limits that must be respected. God has not granted civic rulers authority over the doctrine, practice, or polity of the church. The biblical framework limits the authority of each institution to its specific jurisdiction. Government officials have no right to interfere in ecclesiastical matters in a way that undermines or disregards the God-given authority of pastors and elders. What are they saying? They're drawing the lines. They're saying there's distinctions. There's boundaries. Therefore, in response to the recent state order requiring churches in California to limit or suspend all meetings indefinitely, we, the pastors and elders of Grace Community Church, respectfully inform our civic leaders that they have exceeded their legitimate jurisdiction. And faithfulness to Christ prohibits us from observing the restrictions they want to impose on our corporate worship services. Here's the last part of it. I'll just read it here. Said another way, it has never been the prerogative of civil government to order, modify, forbid, or mandate worship. When, how, and how often the church worships is not subject to Caesar. Caesar himself is subject to God. Jesus affirmed that principle when he told Pilate, you would have no authority over me unless it had been given you from above. It's John 19.11 there. And because Christ is the head of the church, ecclesiastical matters pertain to his kingdom, not Caesar's. Jesus drew a stark distinction between those two kingdoms when he said, render to Caesar the things that are Caesar's and to God the things that are God's. We've looked at that verse from Mark 12. Our Lord Himself always rendered to Caesar what was Caesar, but He never offered to Caesar what belongs solely to God. Pretty bold statement for a very public, in a public way, in a state. I, 
it'll be interesting to see what happens. There will be countless court challenges to the constitutionality, right, of mask mandates, bans on singing, all these things. What I find refreshing and why I read just a good-sized portion of what, of what they spoke about here, this statement from Grace Community Church, again, it, it takes our focus from good things, things of the earth. They're not bad regarding our Constitution. It's helpful. We need to think through those things. But it also places our gaze as a church heavenward, which is, which is where verse 20 does. This heaven, this presence with the Lord, Bethany Bible, that's where our ultimate citizenship lies. We serve the ultimate authority of all things. We need to remember that. He's the head of our church, not our governor. I don't want to say that to kind of just slap in the face. It's just that's a boundary. So let me just close with just a couple, they're short, just a couple exhortations for us. Number one, maybe thinking a little more horizontally, recognize, enjoy your constitutional authority as it relates to our government. It's bound. We're not anarchists. Not that. Forget the law. But we are also free men and women. May God give us godly discretion as we think about living in a way that is submissively disobedient at times. We need wisdom, discretion on that. Number two is to pray for our leaders. Pray for Governor Walsh. Pray for them. Plead with the Lord for them. We're not to slap their face. We're just to pray that they will follow the true authority. Cheerfully obey where we can. Doug Wilson talks about don't don't hold it against the shop owner. If they're they need a mask, just you know, head in, it's fine. Or do it, you know, what you think. But show honor, respect. Number three, so pray, recognize constitutional authority, pray for our leaders. Number three, let us be careful. Let us be careful, church, of division over masks, right? Many Christians, many are going to come down on the side that masks are an important way of slowing the spread of COVID. They might say, we must obey on this, okay? Let's be considerate in how we speak, how we speak of them, how we speak to them. Let not Satan get a foothold, even amongst us. I will email you. I'll send an email out, so if you don't get that, you can let me know. But I'll send you the links of some of the stuff that was helpful, since there's a lot here. And maybe you'll find it helpful as well as you try to navigate and think through these things. Lastly, I just say this. May, may you, may I, may we fix our eyes on Jesus. What a, what a Savior to fix our eyes on in the midst of hardship. To fix your eyes heavenward, that's where we await our Lord Jesus Christ. And right now, our Lord via hard things, via wrestling, via trial, He's transforming us, you and me. And one day, He's going to take this lowly body and He's going to transform it to be like Him, to be citizens of that heavenly city, that heavenly polis. Citizens there. We sang about it some, that new Jerusalem where the Lord God is the temple, where the glory of God gives light. There is no need of sun or moon. 
or constitutions or anything else. It's, it's the presence of the Lord. There's a river of life that flows there from the throne of God and of the Lamb, and His servants will worship Him there. They will see His face, and His name will be on their foreheads. Enjoy that citizenship. Let's pray. Father, for some there's, there's wrestling, and some it's easier. Romans 14 talks about those who eat food sacrifice dials, those that don't, and how to deal with one another. And, and I pray we as a church would, would show kindness. There would be a gentleness to our submissive disobedience. And Lord, just guide us. We pray for wisdom. Masks seem like such a trivial, such a small thing. And yet, Lord, it, it, it seems like a time where the church is um, heading towards persecution, if not there already in some ways. Or we know it's, it could be worse. We know it's not as worse as it could be. Thank you for that. I pray, Lord, that you would, you would stay this time, that, that our government would come under your authority. I pray for our governor, for Mr. Walls right now. I pray for his salvation. I pray he'd govern with your authority. I pray he'd govern with the Bible open before him. It would, he would honor you in the running of his, his state as well as Governor Reynolds as well. Lord, we ask this. Pray, help us to be godly citizens as we live in this world, to sort things, these things out, to be wise. Ultimately, Lord, fix our eyes on heaven. Fix our eyes on the Lord Jesus Christ. Fixing our eyes here on the news cycle and all these things, Lord, it is, is, creates a famine in us. So, Lord, give us a hunger for, for you and to rest in you in all these things. And give us wisdom in this. We would ask for this, and we thank you for this, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. You've been listening to Bethany Radio, a production of Bethany Bible Church in Leroy, Minnesota.